to the Homemakers Club podcast. The Homemakers Club is a sisterhood of women who value the old-fashioned ways and traditions of making a house a home. As you listen in each week to conversation between myself and a fellow homemaker, it is my hope that you'll feel as though we are old friends and you're stopping by my home for a long-standing weekly tradition of sweet tea and sweet conversation. As good old friends do, we will celebrate the simplicities of ordinary days and come alongside one another to navigate the joys and hardships of homemaking. It is my prayer that when we say our goodbyes at the end of each episode, you leave with a heart that is enriched and filled with provision so that when you tie your apron strings each morning, you are joyfully ready to create a beautiful and fruitful life within your home. Grab a cup of tea and I'll meet you at the kitchen table. Hey everyone, welcome to the Homemakers Club podcast. I am so excited to bring back my friend Jennifer Pepito. We spoke a few weeks ago about the magnificence of home and what that looks like in today's culture and society. But today, we're going to be talking about her new book, Mothering by the Book, The Power of Reading Aloud to Overcome Fear and Recapture Joy. Jen, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to chat today, Ashley. It's funny. We talked about the subjects in reverse order because my next book will be about the power of home to restore culture. And we talked about that first, but really before we can feel empowered as moms to do anything good for the world, we have to overcome fear. Isn't that funny how that worked? I mean, I had no idea you were even writing another book. Congratulations on that. That is so exciting and going to be such a blessing for so many women. Thank you for doing that for us. I feel like it's such a hopeful subject, really, to think that even though the world might seem so chaotic, that in our little homes, we are creating schools for the service of the Lord. We're creating a place of refuge. On the back of your book, it mentions that so many women want to nurture strong families, but often fear robs us of our joy. What fears did you experience personally? And what do you kind of see as a common thread amongst women today? Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's so many that I experience and I think are fairly common to us, like the fear of not being enough, the fear of not doing enough, the fear of other moms doing better than us, the fear of our children not following along in our traditions or our values. So there's so many that I really wrestled with and I talk about in the book and you know, I was always reading books to help me as a better mom or a better homeschooler or all these different areas. As I was reading stories, that's what really exemplified for me powerful, courageous motherhood. I love that. Tell us about the transformation in your heart and that transition when you went from being kind of a fear-ridden mother to discovering that you can actually find so many useful and beautiful tools for growth in your motherhood in classic literature. Because I too, I've read so many like not self-help books, but like how to be a better wife, how to be a better Christian, better mother, Mm -hmm. all the things. I'd love to hear what that first book was that you went, oh my goodness, it's in classic literature. You know, probably one of the most formative series for me is the Little House on the Prairie books. I've read them out loud to my children several times and they, you know, Ma was kind of a fearful person 
that's partly why people don't like her because she was so afraid of the Native Americans. But she also, you know, had to wrestle through those fears and she was living in many ways such a hard life. So when I read those books and I see how, despite the fact that she was afraid of moving to a new place, she did it cheerfully. Or despite the fact that she was having to leave her home behind, she did it cheerfully and she learned how to, you know, face those fears and find joy in the midst of a really intense life. And, you know, one of the quotes that's in my book, it's N.D. Wilson. He says, a life well lived is always lived on a rising scale of difficulty. And I think, you know, part of the theme of the book is that overcoming fear helped me recapture joy. In our world today, there's always something new, some new battle that we have to work through, some new challenge that we have to overcome, whether it's, you know, a financial issue or a child dealing with some sickness or whatever it might be. What happens though, is that we can learn to have joy, even in those hard circumstances, we can still, even while things might seem to be falling apart in one area, still bake our bread or hang the laundry on the line and appreciate the beautiful smell and the way it looks in the breeze or take our children on a picnic and appreciate the beauty of being outdoors with them. Even in the midst of hardship, we can find joy. And that's what we see in these stories and what we can live out in our own personal lives. How do you think fear has evolved from like, say back in the little house in the prairie books to now, because back then they were worrying maybe about where their food was going to come from, or like you said, the native Americans. So fear back in the early days of motherhood looks kind of different than it does today. How do you think it's evolved? Yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, some of our fears as moms are are probably the same fears that, you know, Abraham's wife, Sarah faced, you know what I mean? Like, will my son be healthy? Will my son love God? Like, I think that moms throughout the ages have faced many of the same fears, but our lives are much more complicated in some ways by social media and by the many voices that are coming at us. You know, there are so many choices that we have and so many ideas that maybe ancient people didn't have to face. But, you know, I think that the temptations, like the Bible says, there's no temptation except that is common to all of us. So I think as moms, our fears are, are somewhat common. I think that maybe they're different from moms in the eighties. Like, I don't remember my mom really, she might not have felt like she had enough money to buy the food we wanted, but I don't think she was necessarily worried about food shortages, which some of us, you know, based on the news might feel concerned about, or, you know, but I think a lot of the fears that we share as moms are, are common. And we just, the same tools that worked in Ma Ingalls day can work for us today. Those tools of being thankful and taking our thoughts captive and, you know, forgiveness, those tools are so effective all the time. I'd love for you to walk us through your book and how it equips us with tools for overcoming fear and honing the hearts for joy within our homes. Basically, each chapter kind of goes through a fear that I had and then a story that I was reading out loud and some lessons that I learned from that story. So some of the lessons are learning to stay present or learning to grieve or learning to take my thoughts captive or learning to speak life to myself. And I think, you know, of those one that's really overlooked, I think in our society is the power of grieving. You know, when we go through a hard time as a mom, like 
I had a son who was in a car accident and I wasn't in the car accident with him, but I saw his car after it got towed back to our house and, and he, he wasn't injured in the accident. You know, he was scared. It was bad, but he wasn't injured. But when I saw his car, you know, fear really gripped me. And then for a little while after that, I was uncomfortable riding with my kids. Like I have several, you know, adults or teens who can drive. And so for a little while after that, I was uncomfortable riding in a car with my children. And I realized that fear had just started to grip me. And what I did is I took time to just cry it out. I took time to write in my journal. You know, I've been feeling afraid ever since my son got in that car accident. I've been feeling afraid and, you know, really took time to kind of process through the pain and that helped me after that, it wasn't a problem anymore. And I mean, not to say that if a child was speeding or something, I, would, I wouldn't feel uncomfortable, but <laughs> you know, what, what happens when we take time to grieve, you know, you might, somebody else might have, um, have had COVID and then they get it again. And they're like, Oh my God, this is not this again. And, and fear just grips them. Or, you know, you might have had children who were sick. And then every time they have a sniffle, you almost flash back to that time that they were really sick and had to be hospitalized or something. So I think that when we take time to grieve, you know, so basically write down what, what you're worried about, what you're feeling, take time to cry it out. And then for me, I, I just really invite God to come from my heart. I say, God, can you come and comfort me in these fears? And what scripture do you want to speak to me? What do you want to say to me about how I'm feeling? And it's almost like, like being baptized. You know, when you're baptized, the old is laid down, the new is fresh. And it's almost like that freshness. You know, we, we it's like taking a bath, you know, you let yourself let go of that dirt and crud and stress of the last season so that you can have joy again. I love that you mentioned grief because a lot of us experience that and we have so many experiences within our lives that we often tend to just like float through or we try not to go backwards to or even put too much thought into because it's really painful. So aside from journaling and then spending time with the Lord, what would you recommend women do? Where do you turn when fear starts creeping in? Where do you turn to come through the healing side of the grief process? Right. Well, one of the other chapters is all about habits. Um, there's a George McDonald quote that talks about how, you know, if you are afraid, pick up a broom and just start sweeping the floor and just start doing the next thing. Mm -hmm. And King Alfred the Great, in some of the writings from him, they said he, when he was going into battle, he said, if thou hast a fearful thought, share it not with a weakling, whisper it to thy saddle bow and ride forth singing. And the sense, the sense that, we're not going to tell our kids how scared we are about the world. We're not going to sit there whining and moaning about it. We're going to ride forth singing. We're going to get up and make our beds and do the dishes and start a loaf of bread or whatever it might be. We're going to use those small habits to help us keep moving forward, even in the face of our fears. Wow. You know, it's funny. I did receive your book yesterday in the mail. And when I was just skimming through it, I, I stopped in chapter 10 and I love how you have like all the text, but then you have these like highlighted little marks on the pages with like key points to really focus on. And so, and like I said, I was just skimming through it and I happened to stop in chapter 10. I think it might be the chapter where it does talk about habit. It says, when I began to create some healthy structure, it helped my children relax and learn their joy increased and my fear decreased. 
explain what the structure of home does on the hearts for people within because that was so powerful to me and it goes with what we're talking about overcoming fear by doing the next thing. Right. I think it helps our children feel safer when there is some structure. You know, I actually have a child who, if I surprise that child with like, oh, we're going here and it's not necessarily something he wants, you know, maybe it was a good surprise. Like, (laughs) hey, we're going to go rent a boat today. But if it's, if it's something that's going to take him a minute to adjust to, it's a real painful process to be surprised by the next day's events if they're not good. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, using like our peaceful press, we have a chore and routine pack that can kind of help you have a visual for your children of what's expected. And those frameworks, those rhythms really help our children feel more peaceful and calm. Mm -hmm. You know, when we, when they know what's going to come next and when, when mom is present in the morning and when the day sort of has a structure to it, it helps our children feel more relaxed, feel safer. And that makes it a lot easier for them to learn and play and grow when they feel like their life is somewhat predictable and safe. Like when they feel, when they know that there's going to be a meal for them, when they know that there's a responsive mom, you know, it doesn't have to be this rigid structure, but just having some routine and rhythm helps our children relax. And what about for you as a homemaker, the routine and structure as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the same. It's like, I feel so much more peaceful when I've done the little things to make my home more manageable. When you know, the kitchen's clean, I feel more peaceful. Or Mm. when, you know, I keep up that habit of making my bed, it just a lot of other things feel more manageable when some of those small tasks are done. And it's interesting because there's a study that was done in New York City, I think Malcolm Gladwell talks about in one of his books, that when the mayor started enforcing um, penalties for small crimes, like jumping the turnstile and graffiti, all crime went down, you know, and we, we, sometimes we are merciful as moms. We want to give our kids a break on things or, or just let them do what they want to do. But when we don't have those small habits in place, those small boundaries, it makes all, all kinds of other things more intense, you know, but when we can have some healthy structures to our day and some healthy expectations, like every day we're going to gather and we're going to read together. And that's a healthy anchor point for our children, or every day we're going to make a meal and we're going to clean up the kitchen together. Those are healthy anchor points that kind of give our kids a space to pursue better use of their time. How do you prioritize reading within your home life, whether it's reading aloud with your children, that I know you still fondly do, or just reading on your own? How do you prioritize that? And do you do it daily? Yes. I mean, definitely. I read aloud Every day, unless, you know, unless we're traveling or something like that, it's a, it's an absolute daily practice, whether generally we do it in the morning, but if we couldn't do it in the morning, we'll do it in the afternoon or we'll do it before bed. Even if I'm just reading a few verses of scripture. And then for myself, I always have a few books going, you know, I actually have a little list of some recent favorites right here, but I always have books going. I, you know, maybe a few nonfiction books and then a novel And I'll read before I go to bed. I'll take trips throughout the month away from internet service. So I I can focus on reading instead of, you know, because it's like, as long as we're close to our phones, it's hard to get away from that distraction. And and for me, I work with the peaceful press. And so I want to be responsive to my 
customers. So taking breaks where we're completely away from screens that we can focus on our reading. And then every morning I read my Bible and I read, you know, one other devotional book. So it's a daily practice in my home where we take time to read and study and even write down. I have a book where I write down important quotes that I learned from what I read. That's really important. I think a lot of women, especially using social media, have so much input coming in from podcasts or magazines or books. We just have so much input. And a lot of it we seek inspiration from. How do you recommend someone take that input and turn it into output in action in their homes? I really love that idea, you know, because one of my big things I've talked to my children about a lot is that I want them to be producers of culture rather than consumers, you know, and, and I think that's something that we have to model as mothers. Like it's okay to enjoy some social media or watch some YouTube videos and learn something new, but I think figuring out how we can be producers rather than just simply consumers is really important. So, you know, partly we do that by nature journaling or, you know, I I've, have my children, if we're reading a story or if we're, if, even if we watch a movie, I'll have them write down something about what they learned so they can kind of remember that we try to acquire some new homemaking habit or a homemaking skill on a regular basis. You know, I made soap on my own and then got together with some friends and made soap with our friends, you know, so I think that just having kind of a habit of learning new things and acquiring new skills. For one thing, we're modeling it for children, but then we can also invite them into that process and say, hey, come help me measure this rice for dinner or come help me, you know, stir up this bread dough and just help them be part of that lifestyle of producing rather than simply consuming culture. That's incredibly powerful. A lot of women scroll Instagram. I'd love to kind of apply this to social media as well because it's so prevalent in our lives. So a lot of women share on Instagram, you are one of them. How do you encourage someone to take what they read and actually do those skills within their homes? Because some women share ideas of like cleaning rhythms. You're really passionate about reading positive literature and then trying to take some skills that you read in those books and apply them to your life. What is that application? Like walk us through the application process for a woman claiming their home, overcoming fear and becoming nurturing, joyful homemakers? Yeah, I think that one of the important things to think about is to do this in baby steps. You know, like I said, I don't try to do every single homemaking or homesteading activity at once. I try to acquire one new skill and just work on that, you know, over a period of time. So, you know, maybe for a mom, that means in your planner, just writing down one goal you might have for that season. And in, in my peaceful press planner, I actually have space every month for making a goal in regards to your home so that, you know, maybe what you wanted to do this month was, you know, touch up some paint and you're just going to work on freshening up the interior. And that's something that you're going to work on a little bit at a time, or maybe what you're going to work on is just helping your children learn how to fold and put away their own clothes. We can't do everything all at once. And I think being a responsive present mom is more important than, you know, being a super busy and, you know, in the, in the early years, it's just so important to be present and to bond with your kids. So the more little chores that we can do together and do it peacefully, the better, But as far as developing those habits, I think just doing 
one or two things at a time, you know, just make it a focus for a few weeks to teach your kids how to make their beds and to make your bed. That's one thing then that's a habit that's automated. And then maybe the next week, the focus is going to be, we're all going to work on learning how to put our clothes away tidily or, you know, just whatever it might be. Cause I think when I was a young mom with seven young children, I wasn't necessarily learning how to make soap or bake bread or, you know, some mm-hmm. of these things, they came over time. Mm-hmm. A step even deeper into the home life and the foundational building of a home outside of like the tasks that we do or the skills we acquire. There's a lot of young women and even women who are seasoned in life who are just understanding their roles within their homes and that there is so much more to the foundational building of a home than just maintaining a house. Someone had recently, well, within the last few years, recommended me to write a list with my husband and this applied to homeschool. But what skills and values do we want our children to acquire by the time they leave our home? And that's how we kind of picked and chose what we wanted to educate our children with through our homeschool journey. But now I've been really reflecting and thinking about what that looks like in the foundational building of a home do you have any encouragement for women as far as how to sit down maybe and reflect and plan on the roots that they want to have within their home? Well, for sure. Actually, when people pre-order my new book, Mothering by the Book, on the page motheringbythebook.com, I have on there, a, it's called the Peaceful Life Planner as a free download. Okay. And in that planner, there are questions like, what are your values? What are the daily activities you engage in? What are the things that you want to teach your children? And because I think if we don't write these things down and it is hard to know what to write down, do you know what I mean? And so, you know, maybe looking at the book, our 24 family ways by Sally Clarkson, or, you know, I'm sure you'll come up with a great list or, you know, we on the peaceful press, there's a, the chore and routine pack has 120 different chore cards. And each of those translate as some kind of a skill that your child could be acquiring, like, you know, cleaning their room or vacuuming or um, reading their history books, whatever it might be. So in some way, as a family, like you say, gathering a list of things. I mean, for me, I really want my children to know how to make good decisions that are based on biblical wisdom. I want them to know how to stay out of debt. I want them to know how to cook inexpensive meals. I want them to know how to grow some food. I mean, I think it's just like a, a social obligation in a way to know how to plant a seed and let it grow, you know? So there's so many small things that are our family values that we pass on to our children. But I think, like you said, taking time as a family to just evaluate what are those values that we really want to pass on is so important. And it almost gives life to our roles within our homes because we understand the purpose behind our action when we take the time to reflect and build our home according to our values. If you had had to recommend one book out of the books that you walk us through to someone who's never really even thought about classic literature being a guide – in some way, in some fashion to our lives within our homes, what would be the first book you would recommend to someone? Wow, that is a tough one. But I I think honestly, reading the Little House on the Prairie series is so encouraging for moms, you know, even though she was afraid, even though she dealt with 
her own personality defects, she was very diligent in, you know, taking care of her family and in, in doing life with a cheerful attitude, you know, even though it was hard. As far as recent books, I think Emma's for Mama is actually a really nice primer. It's brand new. And you probably know Abby also, but I think it's a great primer for moms who are just trying to figure out what does it look like to disciple my children? Because so many of us weren't necessarily well-trained by our own moms in, in creating a home that's a refuge and in loving our families well. And it's easy to just sometimes feel victimized by how much work there is in that, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and the sacrifices, because if you choose to be home with your kids, it also means you're probably making some financial sacrifices. And so, you know, for moms to just have some encouragement, have some friends to walk alongside them. And that's what these books can be for us is a friend to walk alongside and encourage us as we take an alternate path in society. Right. And in my mind, like we're choosing this path to bring life to our family. It's different than what modern society says is a good idea or popular. And so it's just incredibly life-giving. And I'm so grateful that you're giving us some tools and books to look at. Um, What influence do you think the input we consume has on the output in our home? Oh, 100%. I mean, I'm glad you asked this because we were actually with some people the other day and my friend was saying that she's somewhat embarrassed to talk about her Christianity with some of her Waldorf friends because of so many, some of the bad things that the church has done in history. But, you know, that, that really just comes back to the media that she's consuming because as many bad things as the, you know, the church as a whole. And I mean, I'm talking about the church in history. There's a lot of bad things have been done, but there's also been a lot of good things. I mean, a lot of people have been fed and, and orphanages started and children rescued from trafficking by, by the church or by Christians. And so if we look at the news and we look at news that makes us focus on the darkest side of history and the worst things that happen and the victimization of people, it's hard for us to feel any hope. And if we don't have hope, we don't want to do anything for the world. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if we, if we can instead turn off the news and just read biographies, read about people who survived hard times, read about people who overcame like you know, Harriet Tubman comes to mind. I mean, she had every right to just throw up her hands and say, the world is so messed up. I'm going to just, I'm going to, because she escaped from slavery. And so she could have just stayed there and had a comfy life, but she didn't feel like a victim. She felt like a warrior Mm. and feeling like a warrior meant that she kept on helping her people and, you know, kept on doing the right thing, even though it was hard. And so I think, you know, recognizing that as moms, we have power you know, we have power to do the right thing, to help others, to make the world a better place. And so instead of focusing on the ways that we've been victimized or the ways that things are broken in the world, if we could focus on how we could make the world a better place and the good in our, in our lives, the good in our towns, the good in the, in our neighbors, we can start to, to be a part of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is incredible. I'd love to hear a little bit about that warrior mentality of us claiming our homes. Like if I'm claiming my home, you're claiming your home, my neighbor. I mean, the Homemakers Club just hit 100,000 
warriors. Like that's how I see it. I see these women tying their apron strings, almost like a cape. And like, we are warriors choosing to go against the grain of modern day society and pouring into our homes collectively. What do you think that does? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot because I was in a Cindy Rollins book club this summer and Cindy Rollins is really careful to make sure we know that it's not all up to us. And I appreciate that. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes as moms, then if our kids do make a mistake, if we do make a mistake, we feel so hopeless, but it's not that it's not that we're saying that it's all up to you, but the fact of the matter is our choices do have consequences as you sow, so shall you reap. And so we can sow into loving our children, into reading hopeful stories, into making our homes a hopeful place, and it will make an impact. Collectively, it will make an impact. Or we could be hopeless and say, it doesn't matter anyhow, nothing I do matters, and I have no charge of the outcome. But it's about faithfulness. You know, it's Mm -hmm. Psalm 37 is a big encouragement for me. It says in this, I think it's Psalm 37, verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. And so shall thou dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. So it's not about us feeling like it's all up to us or like we are in charge of everything. What it is, it's about us being faithful and doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if we feel called to teach our children, we're faithful in teaching our children. If we feel called to love our husbands, we're faithful in loving our husbands. If we feel called to, you know, minister at a pregnancy center or, to have a food closet or whatever it might be that we do what we feel called to and we do it with joy and we do it with love and hope. And you know what? I think probably a lot of your listeners were homeschooled or were raised in, you know, Christian homes where they saw their parents made mistakes. And then there can be a tendency for, for us to pendulum swing away from some pain. And so one of the things I talk about in my book is just the power of forgiveness, because for those moms, you know, instead of like, okay, my mom made some mistakes, but there's also some things she did well, or, you know, Christians have made mistakes, but there's also some things they've done well. So instead of holding their mistakes against them, Mm -hmm. we work through forgiveness. And the power of that is that when we forgive, we will be offered forgiveness. You know, like I, I had a tendency with my own mom to be able to look at the ways that she didn't protect me or she didn't give me enough attention or whatever it was. But the, the more, you know, what I realized as a mom of adult children is that our children are always going to be able to find a mistake we made. Like Mm -hmm. I, I was the opposite in some ways. I mean, I was very attentive and tried to give my children different than what my mom gave me, but my kids could still find fault because that is just the human nature. But the more we sow love, the more we sow compassion, the more we sow forgiveness, the more forgiveness we're going to get, you know, it says in the word judge, not lest you be judged for the same measure you judge to be judged. And so I feel like if we, if we judge other Christians or our mothers or whatever it might be, and then do the opposite because we think they made a mistake, probably we're going to end up with some other kind of harm in our own lives. But instead, if we can forgive them, say, I, you did your best and I forgive you for the pain that your best caused me, then we can start to follow the calling on our own heart and really devote ourselves to something we believe is best and right for our families 
without all this like messiness, messing up our heads and causing us to pendulum swing. Mm -hmm. And I think also to add to that is the awareness that our mothers did their best based on what their mothers did as well. And it's just like this generational either blessing or curse, however you want to look at it. This goes back to the beginning of time of like mothers being influenced by their mothers and their mothers. Right. And just thinking about the example you're setting, like when we are hard on our mothers, we are showing our kids that it's okay to be hard on their mothers. Do you know what I mean? It's like, is that what we want? Like, no, we want our kids to give us mercy and give us grace. Mm -hmm. And so I think learning how, you know, and I know some of, some of your listeners have probably had a really hard time. I've had mothers who weren't compassionate or who, who were too legalistic or did whatever they did to hurt them. But I think learning to forgive is going to be so empowering for you as a family to be able to have an atmosphere of grace where we're going to keep doing our best. We're not going to just throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we're going to do it with a spirit of mercy and forgiveness. Right. And there are so many women within the homemakers club that are claiming themselves as first generation homemakers. They're going against the grain. What wisdom would you impart on them? Oh, and and that's such a special calling too, because they, you know, maybe they had moms who completely rejected the home and, and didn't give them any kind of like ideas for how to cultivate a home. But I think, you know, Charlotte Mason talks a lot about the atmosphere of the home and about the home being the first teacher. And I think what, what she's especially referring to there is the, almost the spiritual atmosphere of the home. Like she talks about how every look of gentleness and every tone of kindness is conveying to our children something. And so I think before you focus as a mom on maybe having a, you know, fixer upper beautiful kitchen or having this perfect garden, I think it's about, you know, am I responsive to my children? Am I, am I kind? Like if my husband doesn't do the house project, I want him to do immediately. Am I still kind and merciful to him? You know, I think it's an attitude where, where we're making a happy atmosphere before we're necessarily making a beautiful atmosphere. And Mm. I think that our, our attitudes do beautify the atmosphere. And I love that in your book, you're equipping women with classic literature that's tried and true, that can be that guide for first generation homemakers or, or women who have gone generations down their family line of women being full time within their homes. Do you have any last minute details about your book that you think would be powerful or you had mentioned that you have a download that women can use do you have any other resources or tools you'd like to encourage women to use if they're just starting this journey or just being awakened in their journey yeah for sure on motheringbythebook.com there's a pre-order link and if you put your order number in on that form you'll get a free planner and it does have like some space for menu planning and some things like that. But one of my favorite tools that's in there is actually a course. My daughter and I recorded 13 videos of us walking through some of the tools in the book. And I think, you know, there's so much redemption when a mother and a daughter can work together on a project and can love each other and share their wisdom. And so I think listeners will relate and appreciate the different tools that we talk about and just the fact that there's so much restoration that is available to us as moms and as we are really being faithful to what we feel God has put on our hearts to do. 
I love that. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. And congratulations on this book. And I'm so excited about the next. I'm so excited too about your work, Ashley. I just love that so many people are catching that vision of home being a place of restoration. Thank you so much. That means the world to me, Jennifer. Congratulations again. Thank you. Thank y'all for being here and for the work you are doing within your homes and sharing home with the world. I believe with my whole heart that every day, the more we share home and the art of homemaking, we are upholding the way in which home was intended to be productive, fruitful, and beautiful. Though your days may seem ordinary, little by little, you are building something quite extraordinary. Keep up the good work, my friends. If you haven't already, I encourage you to join our sisterhood on Instagram at wearethehomemakers for daily encouragement and fellowship. And of course, subscribe here as well. We are the homemakers gathered for good. See y'all next week. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, your gateway to a new dimension of wellness. Featuring discussions with world-renowned experts, pioneers, champions, and professionals. Experience high-end production, sophistication, and easily applicable tips and tricks for everyday life. Your journey to wellness, it starts here and it starts now. Tune in to the Wellness Driven Life Show and become a part of the evolution of driven living. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together.